Hi, I'm Lisa Levin. And I'm Julie Sapper. We're the co-founders of Run Farther and Faster and co-hosts of the podcast under the same name. While we started this podcast as a Boston Marathon-focused podcast based on the experiences from our combined 31 finishes, we cover all things running-related. We've coached runners of all levels and goal distances all over the world for over 13 years. Thanks so much for joining us. We are so excited you're here. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are you? I'm great. We just finished up the Parks Half Marathon, a big local half marathon this weekend. We had a few runners who ran it and um, really was a great race. And thankfully, it was just a little warm, no rain this year. And I think it was a, a great test of fitness for everyone who was out there on the course. There are some people who were looking to PR and, and did. And then there were some folks who were looking to just get a fitness check and had that as well. And I think those are really important races to do before a bigger race, just to kind of see where you are after all of this hot summer training. Because you and I both know it's really hard to tell what our fitness is when you're running on 80 degree high humidity consecutive days. It's, it's very hard to see where you are in terms of your fitness. So a race is a great way to test that. Yeah. And, and to me, the parks half marathon always kind of signals the kickoff and start of fall racing season. And like you said, we use it for a lot of our local runners to get a kind of a, either a dry run for, for race day um, or to check their fitness or to practice marathon pace miles, lots of different purposes to those kind of tune-up races that we do. But I always think of it as as the kickoff and really, and we've just started, um, marathons have started, uh, several marathons were this weekend. Yeah. And um, and uh, we had runners who really had great races at, um, at some of the early fall marathons. So one of them is the last chance to BQ or BQ.2, which is a race that you've done before that's in a right outside Chicago and is designed specifically to help people who need that um, last minute qualifying time. And we've had runners do that. And I was really happy. One of our runners, um, Carolyn Rock, who um, who raced with us in Boston, but didn't have her didn't race her potential at Boston because she had some hamstring issues. And we planned ahead that she was going to kind of dial it back. So she didn't requalify at Boston. But um, when she got home and got rehabbed and she kind of still had that itch to qualify. And so she decided to go for this last chance race. And she not only qualified, she's um, going to be go, move up an age group uh, for 2025. So she not only qualified for 2024, but for 2025, which was really exciting. And we had another runner who hit a big PR and got sub four finally, um, Sari at the last chance. Um, so uh, Erie was another marathon this weekend. And, uh, you know, and consequently, Boston Marathon registration opened up um, on, on Monday. So we have runners who uh, had qualified earlier who are, who just qualified this weekend who've now put their names in the hat. And for those who are listening, most are familiar with, but maybe not everyone's familiar with the Boston registration process. Um, opens, uh, you know, the, it's usually the second week in, in September. And um, you can submit a qualifying time from September 1st of the previous year through that. Is that right? September 1st? Yeah, I think of, th of the previous year through basically when registration opens um, and and then the BAA will determine how many can fit into the number of slots that they have and announce that there is a cutoff if there is any the last couple of years there's been no cutoff um, but a, a cutoff to the qualifying time so let's say your qualifying time is 340 but they fill up with uh, faster runners and um, the, the cutoff is a minute and 30 seconds so you would have needed a 338 30 or 29 um, to get actually get into the race so 
in the past, uh, the BAA has taken about a week to two weeks to announce that cutoff. Um, one of our runners did some research and found out that last year they announced um, on the 21st of September the cutoff. So uh, she's one of our runners that's registered and has a as a buffer, but a smaller buffer, and it's kind of counting the days until we find out. Um, so that's not too far away. So hopefully in the next week or so, uh, the BAA will announce if there is a cutoff this year, what that is, and people will find out um, if they're into Boston. So um, yeah, so we had that this week as well. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I loved getting a nice note from one of our runners, Abadi. It took him several tries to qualify for Boston. He was always so close and he did it last year and it was really sweet. He sent a note. He said, I'm registering right now. Thank you so much. And you kind of forget it's not just about did I get in. It's actually having the opportunity to register is really exciting. Obviously, everyone deserves to get in. That's certainly not the point is to quote unquote just register. But he understood the magnitude of it and felt that moment, as did we. And it was just really nice to uh, experience that with him. And we're just so proud of everyone who set that goal and qualified. And we're so proud of everyone who set that goal and didn't qualify. It will happen. It takes a while sometimes, but it will happen. And uh, I'm living vicariously through all of you this year as I will not be registering. And you know what? I'm okay. I thought it would be harder, but I'm actually okay. I have a plan and a purpose. And this isn't the year for me to do it, but I am grateful that I still have hope and I'm grateful that I still feel deep in my heart that I'll be back and I'm not giving up. So, um, yeah, it was a that's little bit an important, than I thought. That's such an important perspective because there are a lot of runners. We work with a lot of runners out there in general who have that goal and they haven't hit it yet. And it doesn't mean they're never going to. It means, like you said, they're not registering this year. Um, but that that the attitude is such an important um important part. And, and that's what we want to kind of talk about today is, uh, especially as we're getting closer to goal races and people are building for, for races and everyone's getting in there for the most part, getting in their runs. So, you know, we give them runs to do, they give them workouts and they're executing the workouts. But what we see a lot of times um, are runners kind of getting in their own way um, and, and um, hindering their own um, abilities or their, their potential performance. Um, by certain patterns in their training and in their thinking through their training. So it's outside of the, the running, it's kind of their perspective. And, you know, you just talked about your perspective on your running and on um, Boston this year. And that perspective is really important. So we thought, um, you know, and in the future, we'll, we'll have a, an expert on that will help us kind of talk through how to how to overcome these thought processes and these, these patterns. Um, but we kind of wanted just to talk about them and, and our observations over 14 or 15 years of coaching runners and just what we've seen um, uh, kind of happen at this point in training and, and leading up to races outside of the running itself that can impact performance. Yeah. So we have identified five patterns and it's not because five is, you know, sort of a, 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 a it's not a round number, but you know, it, it's an easy number to list, but truly because we thought through this and these are five consistent patterns we've seen among runners since we started coaching 14 years ago. So we're just going to get started and talk about each of them. So the first pattern that we see consistently is when runners emphasize performance over process. So what we mean by that is rather than looking at each run as part of the process, um, runners tend to sometimes look at each run as a performance, particularly if that individual is on Strava, social media, or runs in a group where they feel that there's an expectation to hit a certain pace during a training run. We've talked about this a lot on our podcast, and, and perhaps you're listening and saying, yeah, 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 you've talked about this before. But the reason we bring it up so much is because it is a, a pattern that can really break a runner. 
And here's why. It is a huge distraction that is not necessary. Nobody cares about your times except for you. And when we take up space in our brain to not focus on our own workouts, but instead we're focusing on what we think that workout should look like on a particular platform or in front of a particular group of people, then you're not getting the benefit of that workout. And what happens if you don't get the benefit of that workout? Number one, sometimes you are overtrained as a result. Number two, sometimes you are under recovered as a result. And, and worst case scenario, number three, if you're always running paces that are based on performance rather than process, it's a recipe for injury. So if you're someone listening and you're trying to figure out if, if this is you, just kind of think about what you think about when you go into a workout and what you think about as soon as you finish a workout. Do you think about how you feel after the workout? Do you think about how you feel the next day after workout? Or are you thinking more about what the numbers look like on Strava or what you're going to say on your Instagram story that day about a run? And if it's the latter versus the former, and it can be both, this isn't like, like binary where you have to be one or the other. But if you're thinking about this, the latter in place of the former, then it's time to kind of zoom out and really think about the purpose of each workout, especially on these days that lead up to your goal race. Absolutely. And, and, you know, what do you do about that? Like, what can you do? Um, you can get off of Strava or you cannot post all your runs on Strava. I mean, I'm somebody who doesn't post my runs. I mean, I, they, they sync to Strava because they're connected to my watch, but I don't post them. And, and, and consequently, I don't feel the need to get on Strava and then explain maybe why my pace was slower one day or my, you know, make up a story to go with it or like make a, you know, narrative to go with it. Like, so that's one thing you could do is, is get off of the social media or the Strava or the Instagram. You don't have to post about it. You don't have to make it public. You don't have to make your goals public. You know, we've talked to a lot of runners who are like, well, I've put this out there as my goal and now I feel so much pressure. And it kind of all goes back. It reminds me, you talked about, you know, think about when you're done with your run, where do you, what are you thinking about? And it goes back to um, what doc, Dr. Justin Ross talked about and coming into um, running. Are you coming at a place from joy or fear? So am I coming at this from like, I feel so good. I got out for my run today. I feel so great. I, you know, went out, had a great run. I cleared my mind, whatever. Or is it, oh crap, I didn't run fast enough to make this look. How is this going to look? to other people. So I, I think, you know, just goes back to exactly what you're saying is, you know, emphasizing the performance and what it looks like on paper over the process and taking a step back and saying, this is part of a process. And um, this is not my race. This is, you know, every, whatever you're doing that workout, if it's not your goal race, it's not your goal race. So, and like you said, no, nobody really cares. They're probably too worried about what they're doing um, and their performance to worry about yours. So I, I think, you know, it's really, um, getting off the social media, finding a way to to make it so that it's really more about you and you're listening here, but maybe it's running, you know, not running with your group. Maybe it's, um, you know, it, it's finding some way of getting back the focus back to yourself and what your process is. Yeah. And figuring out why you do it in the first place, because it's a hobby and we want to enjoy it. It, it shouldn't feel like a pressure cooker. There's so many other elements of our lives where we have pressure and we don't have a choice, but with running, we have a choice. So, Come, come to it from a place of joy and remember why you're doing it and the purpose of each workout. So pattern number two, this is a, this is a common one we see a lot and um, it's identifying as a number rather than a person. 
What do we mean by that? It's when runners place their identity on a particular training pace or finish time. Um, for example, calling another runner, oh, um, she's a 310 marathoner, or saying I'm in the 830 pace group. Now we understand this is how pace groups are labeled. We get that. But that doesn't mean that you personally have to identify as an 830 pace runner. It's just categorically a way to organize runners into groups to run paces that are around the pace that on a calculator, they should be running theoretically based on a five or 10K race time. It doesn't mean that that is who you are. So why is this important? Because if you are constantly identifying with a number, you're never going to be able to be flexible to change. And you want to be flexible because why? Because you want to actually absorb the stimulus of the training. This goes back to process. If the purpose of an easy run is to run easy and you identify as a person in the 830 pace group with all of your friends who are in the 830 pace group, but you don't respond well to heat or cold, but you're going to stick with that 830 pace group, what happens? You run an 830 pace, but your heart rate is extremely elevated because you are one person who may be different than someone else in your pace group and you're running faster than what easy effort is. So identifying with a number can be dangerous because number one, you get stuck. You aren't able to think with flexibility and you're not able to think about what can I do right now to maximize my training on this 90 degree day? What can I do right now to maximize my training? Because I don't, I don't run very well when the temperature's in the thirties, I feel stiffer. What can I do right now to maximize my race? Because while I feel that ordinarily I'm in the three thirties when I race a marathon, I'm not that well trained this year. So I think I'm going to dial it back and run this for fun, or, or I'm going to target something in the three forties or three fifties this year. Flexibility is so important in life. It's so important in training, because if we're able to think with flexibility, we would be able to do so many more creative things with our running. And most importantly, we would be able to approach our running from a place of curiosity and respect for our bodies versus feeling like we're stuck with a number that we identify by because a random person or calculator decided that the number should be associated with us. Yeah, and I think it extends even beyond pace groups. I mean, we see this a lot. And again, we've seen it over over the 14 years that we've been um, coaching is that we get runners who think if they don't run a certain pace in their training run, it didn't count. So if I didn't hit nine, if I run slower than nine minute miles, that didn't count. Well, guess what? You know, it was hot out today. You're getting older. Your heart rate looks really high at, at you know, at eight fifties, but we've seen it. We will tell runners, you know, run, you know, slow your runs down and they'll run. If we tell them, they try to run, you know, a little bit slower than nine minute miles, try that. And they all come back and they'll run 8.59 average because they don't want to see that. Not like we see that. And, and I get it. Like, you know, I feel when I was younger, I used to feel that if I finished a run and my pace was, uh, you know, a certain pace wasn't a, at a certain pace, I'd feel like, oh, that didn't really count. And that's not absolutely not, um, not, uh, not the case. And I think what's helped me in that um, is that is, you know, doing races and seeing that my race fitness is still where, where I want it to be or where I expect it. And then I go out the next day for my easy run and I'm like, I don't care how slow I run. I just raced a really fast race. So like having that confidence boost of like, like knowing that your fitness is in a certain place. So doing a 5k here and there just to kind of have a check to make sure, yeah, I'm still okay. Then your training paces don't get stuck in your head as much. So I think that that's, you know, like I said, even beyond being in a formal pace group, we see that a lot with people who over the years, you know, I was always a, my easy pace was always eight thirties. Well, it's not anymore clearly. And that's okay. And like you said, when we get stuck on that number, we we lose track of listening to our bodies and kind of being practical and 
again, zooming out and looking at the bigger picture of training. We also lose our joy for running because if, if you feel fixated on a, on a certain identity, whether it's your finish time or your paces, and you're not meeting those numbers anymore, if, if that's how you identify as a runner, you're ultimately not going to feel like you're a runner anymore. And of course, that's not the case. If you run, you're a runner. And a person, any person who runs, no matter what the pace is, is a runner. And we all deserve to have that joy. So getting stuck and fixated on these numbers is limiting and it won't allow us to grow as runners. And we're, we're all aging. We're all getting old. <laughs> it's not something that we can prevent. But what our ultimate goal is, is to run for as long as we can. And in order to run for as long as we can, we need to be flexible. And there's a lot of ways to be flexible. And one critical way to be flexible is to stop identifying yourself with a number. Instead, just identify yourself as someone who loves to run and train. And wherever the numbers land, they land. But know that you are training the right way if you're truly running your easy pace on easy days. And that will serve you so much better than trying to stay within a certain number because that was the pace group you were assigned to. And this is something we have seen every year. It's This is nothing new. And I don't know how to fix it, but I feel like the more we talk about it, maybe someone will hear this and say, you know what, I feel like that's where I am right now. And that you're right. It doesn't matter what my pace group number is. I need to run the best pace for me on an 80 degree day, which may be different than the people in my assigned pace group. And that's okay. It doesn't mean I'm any less fit. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to, to the third pattern that we see a lot and we get it because we're runners too. And we use running a lot to cope with a lot of different things, but is is using running as a substitution for therapy. You know, the, the, the funny thing is, uh, you know, running is my therapy. You see the shirts, you see the, you know, that's on, you know, a lot of uh, whatever you hear that a lot is running or you'll hear runners say like, I need to get out today for my run or I'm going to be really grumpy or, you know, this is how I'm coping with things. And, and absolutely running is a great way to decompress, to think through things. Um, But as we've talked on this podcast before with sports psychologists before um, running is not therapy, running is not a substitution for therapy and using the run, using, um, the, your mental health as an excuse to get out to run something really hard or more miles than you should, or on a day that you weren't supposed to run. Um, you, you, we really want our runners to find some other way <laughs> to cope with that stress because we get this a lot. And again, over the years, you know, somebody will do a run and we'll say, you didn't have, you were supposed to be recovering today. Why did you go? Oh, I had a really stressful day. I had to go out for a run. Or I ran that run, that easy run really hard because I was so angry today. And we say, well, that's great. We're glad you got out your anger, but now you've fatigued your body and now you're, you know, you're defeating the purpose of your training. Um, so I think using, using uh, running as therapy and using it as a reason to get out um, to kind of, um, kind of buck your training plan and buck the, the, the process um, is, is a danger and can definitely lead to, uh, to, to not achieving your goals and really, you know, worst case scenario to, to injury, because on top of the stress that you have, you're putting more stress on your body. And it's kind of this double, double whammy. It reminds me of this story. I had, um, one of my running partners who no longer runs, but this isn't why, but he no longer runs anymore. This is probably about 12 years ago. Now he was going through divorce. And whenever he would start talking about his divorce, the entire 
group of us would suddenly find ourselves going a minute faster to because maybe he would be telling a story and we would all unintentionally be speeding up because he was getting so angry and speeding up. So we quickly realized that we had to make sure that our running buddy never talked about his divorce while we were running with him. He could talk about it over coffee after, but not during. So it's definitely invariably something that everyone does to um, get out frustration. You speed up. It happens all the time. But being aware of it is really critical and, and knowing that it could happen and saying, okay, this is not what I want to do because if I am speeding up every time I'm frustrated and hammering a run, then I'm going to lose running altogether. And that is one of my tools that I use to cope with my stress. Very good point. That's what we tell people a lot is don't do not do not overdo it to the point where you can now cannot go out and run and use it to deal with, you know, to, to help manage your 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 emotions. But um, but yeah, so that's just, a, again, a pattern that we see. And again, when it's combined with actual real true stress. So if somebody is going through a divorce or they have a sick child or a sick parent and that's a lot of stress and then they're adding the stress of running more and harder to deal with it. Uh, that's where we see injuries and where you see performance decline because your body just can't can't handle all the stress. So someone may be listening saying, well, I can't help it. It's 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 what I need to do. And sometimes I just need to go out there and hammer a run. And as long as you're aware of it and if it happens and you can't help it, then adjust your schedule. So if you were supposed to do a tempo run the next day or a speed workout the next day and you hammered your easy run, then that's a great that's that's at least have the awareness and make adjustments in your schedule so you're not hammering every run because we understand everyone's human and sometimes that happens but just making sure you know and and making those adjustments goes back to flexibility um so another pattern that we see is placing fomo fear of missing out over our overall health so what do we mean by that it's the individuals who sign up for every race even if those races don't align with their overall goals or their overall health or showing up for runs um, while sick because you feel okay at this point and it's okay to run because you just, you're feeling like you want to meet up, you've been isolated and you're not contagious anymore. And it's just a little chest cough. So I'm just going to go and do the group run today. Um, those little things where you're participating in things that compromise your training and often also compromise your overall health just because you don't want to miss out, you're going to end up missing out on a lot more. So we see a lot. Unfortunately, COVID is back. We hope it's not as big of a deal as in previous years. We're seeing it a lot. Um, just a side note, we know it's back because we have a roster of runners from all over the country. And about three weeks ago, you and I started seeing bit by bit our runners from each part of the country were reporting to us that they or their children or their spouse were diagnosed with COVID. So because the cases are milder, a lot of folks are sort of ignoring the advice to wait a few days at least until symptoms have subsided and you've tested negative to run. And our advice is it's not worth it. Uh, don't, don't worry that you're missing out. Um, it's not worth it because you don't want to go into the last bit of your training before your goal race also having to fight off residual COVID symptoms because you ran too soon. We've talked a lot about COVID on this podcast. We hate talking about COVID, but it's worth mentioning. You, running, even easy effort, just after your COVID symptoms have subsided with, with no acknowledgement is not a great idea because a lot of folks end up having their symptoms for much longer as a result. We have seen it 
So just really be mindful of that and understand that a little bit of FOMO, understandable, it's not worth it because then you're going to have a lot more FOMO when you're not going to be able to do all the things that you want to do this fall because you're still dealing with a super high heart rate or residual muscle soreness and fatigue because you chose to run a little bit too early after recovering from a very mild case of COVID. Yep. And how to get over FOMO volunteer. <laughs> you did this, Julie, you know, you, you couldn't run Parkes this past weekend and you volunteered. And I think that's a great way to still be involved in a race or a group run. Maybe you go set up a water station for your friends that are running, or maybe you meet them after for, you know, for, for coffee, or you set up a, you know, little table after with some treats for them, but, you know, volunteer, you can still be involved and, and be part of the group. Um, but we do see that a lot too, where a lot of people that kind of overcommit to races because all their friends are doing lots of different races and they come to us and they say, oh, I just signed up for these five races. And we're like, wait a minute, those don't fit into your training schedule. Like we can't even fit your long runs in now, or, you know, it's too many races. So, um, so I think, you know, the way to get over FOMO is a realize that everyone's going to miss out on something at some point, not everyone is doing something at the same time and B find other ways to, to be involved. If that means volunteering or, you know, supporting your friends, uh, going out to cheer. Um, I think that that's a good way to, to, to kind of overcome, overcome that. So, so our last, um, a pattern or um, habit that we see that can happen. Um, and, and, and really, frankly, it can happen to us because we live, eat, breathe, um, running is, is placing your identity as a runner over all of your other identities. So I am a runner. And, um, you know, what happens if you lose that running? I mean, because you just have to think about if, you know, at some point you have to be sidelined at some point you don't have running, you can't run, you know, what else do you have in your life that's going to help you, um, you know, help form your identity. So while it's great to be really involved in the running community and have lots of running friends and get involved in races and volunteer and coach, I mean, look, like I said, our lives revolve around running, but we also make sure we have other things in our lives um, that are really important to us and that we dedicate a lot of our, our brain time, our thinking time, our physical time too, because, um, you know, you know, firsthand if running is taken away, you know, that, that, that the mental health of somebody who really just thinks of himself only as a runner and then doesn't have that, it can really, really suffer. So be proactive before that ever even becomes a possibility and, and, you know, make sure your identity is, is broader than just running. Yeah, I just finished a book. We're trying to get the author on the podcast. Uh, it's called Master of Change by Brad Stahlberg. It's excellent. Um, it's I can't emphasize how good this book is. And it talks about how to navigate a life of change. Life is change. So rather than looking at change as something you resist, the book kind of provides a, a roadmap to how to use change to enhance your life and how to approach change, good and bad changes, sort of with an acknowledgement that that is part of life. And one of the things that is addressed in the book is when you have something that is so important to you and it becomes your identity, that's okay temporarily, but making sure that you have a lot of other things going on. So there's an analogy where you look at a house with a lot of rooms and maybe sometimes um, the rooms all have different activities. So you've got running, parenting, spouse, work, um, maybe your musical, your musical instrument, your friends, but maybe for like two, three months, you're intensely training for a race. So in the house, the room that is the running room is bigger because during those few months, you're really focusing on your race. But then after that's over, that room should become much smaller 
and something else can become bigger or the rooms kind of even out a little bit more. So that's a very nice tangible example to really illustrate how important it is to have a lot of aspects to your life besides running and to identify as a person who runs versus I am a runner. Um, I can say firsthand, you know, running has been taken away from me right now, but it certainly occupies my brain all the time because I have the gift of being able to coach and the gift of being able to podcast with you and the gift to be able to think about everyone else's running so much. But that too isn't healthy if that's all I'm doing. So I have a lot of other hobbies and interests that I like to cultivate and people in my life that I like to be with who aren't runners. And I think that's important too. So just identifying as a runner is understandable. We all love the sport so much, but making sure that there are other rooms for you to sit in when that hobby is taken away is so important because you don't want to spiral and you also don't want to use running as sort of your your confidence boost because sometimes things don't work out in a race and that doesn't mean you're a, a bad person or a bad runner or failure. It just means you didn't have the race you wanted and nobody cares but you. But we've seen sometimes when folks really put so much um, emphasis on that goal to the exclusion of other things, it can really cause a, a downward spiral. And, and this is where sports psychologists come in handy. Um, we highly recommend working with one, um, a mental performance coach, someone who can kind of put things in perspective. We are not that. We don't pretend to be. But it's a pattern we've seen. And we've seen it among running friends and among the runners we've coached over the last decade and a half. And we just would love for people for that not to happen to people. So it's an important pattern to acknowledge. And if you see that's you, kind of look around and think about and take stock of the other rooms in your house. Yeah. And I think all of the patterns that we've talked about today are like we've said, they're universal and we see them over and over again. So it's, they're understandable. It's not like it's somebody's a bad person or like an odd person to have, you know, to kind of go through this. So that's why we wanted to talk about it is because we see it over and over again. And, and we even see it in ourselves from time to time. You know, we fall into these traps sometimes. And um, but but what we've seen is that the most successful runners, the ones that and it doesn't mean necessarily time successful, like their finish times, but the ones that get the most joy out of running and the most longevity out of running are those that have, that have either not encountered those patterns or have gotten out of those patterns. The ones that have really, um, you know, stepped back, enjoyed it for themselves, not identified solely as a runner, but have really have longevity and, and just find the joy in running. And it all comes back again to that, um, you know, coming at it from a place of joy and, and, the patterns that we talked about today are ones that we see come up that kind of get in the way of that. And we talk about it to each other a lot where we'll say, oh no, like this is, we see this happening again and we see this pattern coming up again. And um, that's why we thought we would talk about it to just make sure people understand, first of all, you know, it's not, it, it's not a one-off. You're not crazy if you fall into any of these categories, it's totally predictable and it's totally um, understandable. Um, but it's something that can get away in the way of your enjoyment of the sport and ultimately your performance as well, because if you're not enjoying it and you're running too hard and too fast because you're trying to, you know, put on a performance and feel like you need to live up to some standard or whatever of others of yourself, um, that it will Im impact your performance. But um, really at the end of the day, we all do this because we love it. And these are the things we see that get in the way of, of runners loving it. And that's why we thought we'd talk about it. And hopefully if you see yourself in any of these, you can kind of become aware of it and make a conscious effort to get out of that pattern. 
Or if you see a friend who's engaging in any of these patterns that you feel they may not be aware of it, send them this episode. This is all normal stuff. We see it over and over and no judgment. This is coming from a place of just experience and support. And we just want everyone to be successful, whatever, however you define your success in running. And these are all patterns. If you're able to break them, will really contribute to further success. And Lisa, I just want to touch on something. I liked what you said earlier when you said, um, whatever that means to you, success. It's not about times. Success in running to me is longevity and enjoyment of the sport. I think of the most successful runners that I know are the people that have been able to stay with it for decades and continue to enjoy it and find challenges and enjoy the competitive spirit in their way while also remaining healthy. And I mean, there are some outstanding runners that come to mind when I think of those folks and it has nothing to do with their times. It has to do so much with their joy and their longevity. And that's how I personally define success in running. Absolutely. hundred percent. I think we're thinking about a lot of the same people that we look up to as, 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 as role models of how to approach this whole thing that we, we love to do when we do as a hobby. So none of us are getting paid to do this. Absolutely. So before we go, and if anyone is sticking with us for this long, thank you. Um, we wanted to just share that we are hosting a wonderful event on October 22nd. If you are local to the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, we are hosting an author talk and discussion with Christine Yu, who was a guest on our podcast. Um, she was a guest, I think it was about um, May or June when her book came out. And um, Christine is also a sports journalist, and she's going to be doing a talk and a book signing, talking all about the science of sport and why and how uh, sport is not always supportive of data that supports women in sport and how important it is to have additional scientific data. And we're going to have a panel discussion with Christine to explore that. So it's at 10.30 in the morning on October 22nd at the JCC in Rockville, and all proceeds from the event will be donated to Camp Lessons Inclusion Camp and also Maccabia USA. So if you're around and you'd like to come, we would love to have you and meet you if we haven't yet, and you'll get to meet Christine Yu, who wrote a fabulous book, and um, we would love to see you there. Tickets are on sale. We'll link to it um, in the show notes. It's also on our website. And um, tickets are just what you want to pay. Any ticket price is simply a donation to either of those um, nonprofits. Great. Thanks for the reminder. And we'll uh, make sure we'll keep uh, putting that word out there in the next, you know, we've got a little over a month before, uh, before it happens. Yeah. So Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Thanks, Julie. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.